Good morning. It's coming. We got something coming up here in just a second. Hey, welcome. Glad to see y'all this morning. Uh, my name is Brian, and I'm uh, the care pastor here. And yes, that simply means that none of the other pastors on staff care, but I do. But um, at any rate, I'm excited. It is September finally. Anybody glad it's September? That means our three days of fall are coming up. So y'all just hold on tight. But football is back. That's why, I'm, that's why I'm excited. This is what excites me. One of the things that excites me right here, that's the big T at Tennessee. Tennessee played this weekend, and they won, so we're undefeated. We're undefeated. There you go. And, hey, here's what's even better, guys. Here's what's even better. Are you ready for this? Because Perry gets excited about it, too, uh, from time to time, and I feel like I need to grab this sign either on a billboard or just put it out in my yard. You know, please don't call the police. It's not a domestic violence or a wild party. It's football season. And that's just me screaming. So I've, it's, it's been a process of going through life with that. But it's important. But here's the other thing that's, that I'm really fired up. You know what next week is? Anybody? The Cowboys. That's right. My boys right here. The Cowboys take the field. We do some things. Hey, and here's what I got for you. Just to fire you up, just to get you excited and ready to roll, I have uh, just a brief video of the greatest plays of the Dallas Cowboys. Are you ready, guys? Check it out. What uh Hey. Hey. Where's my video? Sorry, Brian. We, um, we don't play VHS tapes anymore. Uh, the Cowboys were good in 1995, and I was a senior in high school. You're a senior in high school. Yeah. Thank yeah, you, Chip. But Thanks. I did do something for you, and I got, you got something for you. You got to play for me? Yeah, I got to play for you. Go ahead. All right, Go awesome. ahead, guys. Let's do it. Y'all check it out. Dallas Cowboys at their finest. To get to the quarterback here, Prescott takes off running the football. Whoa, I don't think this is going to work out. It will. They'll be on the clock this they were playing for. It's down, down. Oh, my gosh. Oh, the official gets in the way. The game's over. The game is over. Oh, he did. Of course, that's ridiculous for a game to end like that, Jim. Wow, I am livid if I'm a Cowboy fan and if I'm a Niners fan. That's the fan. end of the game. The yeah. game is over. Yeah, that's all. All you Saints fans. Mm, mm. Hey, but you know what? It's a new season, and we're undefeated, okay? So just remember that. But, but that's kind of what's been going on. I mean, our outlook, like right now, even if you just uh, take a cross-section of, of society, especially here in America, you know, our outlook right now is really just not that good. I mean, we got, you can turn on the TV and you got, you got the news talking about the economy and all this going, is it a recession? Is it not a recession? Is it inflated? Is it not inflated? You got the old men sitting, well, I remember when I was paying $2 for a gallon of gas. And, and sitting around talking about that. Um, we sit around, we talk about 
um, like medicines that we're taking now and how it affects our bodies. And we go through all this stuff where this, we've got this incredible outlook that really is not real good. And we even get mad now when we walk in the stores and there's already pumpkins out, right? Yeah. I mean, we get, we get kind of ticked off about it. It's too early. I know at our house, because the calendar turned to September, we did begin putting out all the fall decorations, but we're really just doing that in hopes that that's going to bring that cool, cool weather back in for us. But it's, it's, important. it's important for all of us to have the right perspective. And there's a reason because of that. Because here's why. Here's why. Perspective becomes a belief which then determines our behavior. Okay? Our perspective. We got a, a situation. Something's coming at us. And that perspective then becomes a belief that we begin to think about. And then that belief determines our behavior. Okay? It's not what you know that determines your behavior. It's what you believe. And that makes a big difference. Because here's why. Because we buy into the lies. And then we convince ourselves that those lies are truths. Peter understood a lot about this. And he wrote this. 1 Peter verse, chapter 5. Verses 5 through 7, look what he says. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he goes on, he says, so therefore humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, at the right time, he'll lift you up in honor. And then he says this, give all your worries and cares to God. For he cares about you. This morning, I want us to take a little bit of time just to look at two lies that kind of determine our behavior, determine where we are in life. The first lie is this, I have something to prove. It's this lie that says, I have something to prove. And the lie is pride. It's pride in our life. Because we have a tendency in our lives to keep a scoreboard up, right? Have you ever been around anybody that's done that? Usually it starts out, you talking about, man, what'd y'all do this weekend? Well, you know, we went and uh, we went out and ate at uh, Texas Roadhouse for supper, and it was really good. And then the scoreboard guy jumps in there and goes, well, we went to Two John's, and uh, it was really tasty. You know, my Bernays sauce was a little bit on the ripe side, but, you know, and they just go through there. And so there's this, this tendency to, to keep score in what we do. And then it carries over into our life and our habits and the things that we do. Because here's why, look, we buy things that we don't need with money that we don't have so that we can try to impress people that we don't even like. <laughs> Why? Because we've bought into this lie that we have to prove ourselves. We've bought into this lie that says, I got this scoreboard working right now and it, the important thing is at the end of the day, I got more points on my side of the board than you do. And that carries into all of our relationships, our marriage relationships, our dating relationships, our work relationships. But the reality is this, that you don't have anything to prove. That you don't have anything to prove to anyone else. You don't have to go to a certain college. You don't have to get a certain job. You don't have to make a certain level of pay. You don't have to sleep with someone else. You don't have to drink this certain drink. Because we don't need to prove anything. Because here's why, guys. Because God already proved it. God already proved his love. Look what he says here. In Romans chapter 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, key phrase there, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
while we were still jacked up, while we were still over here in the corner counting the score, trying to prove ourselves to each other, while we had this thing called pride into our life, it says God died for us. Why? Here's the truth. Because God is not a performance-based God. God's not a God that sits back and keeps the score because the score has already been settled. But Satan comes in and he begins to whisper this lie and he tells us, you got to prove yourself. Man, you got to prove yourself. So, so what do we do when we try to prove ourselves? Y'all have seen it before. You've been around that kind of person. Is that person that kind of has maybe a little bit of a chip on their shoulder? They just feel like they're not enough and so they're going to go out and they're going to try to prove your, themselves. They're going to top you on whatever you do. They're going to be that person that brings that attention to their self. They're going to try to compensate in some way or another to make themselves seem like a big deal. And what does it feel like? It feels like this. It feels like they're just puffed up. You've been around that person before. We've all known that person. That proud person that just says puffed up, that just... I mean, they get, get that way. But here's what I found. Even in my own life and even in like going to a doctor, you get puffed up. That's some problems, guys. Inflammation is never a good thing. Go ask your doctor about it. Man, I got this inflammation in my chest. Not a good thing, guys. And the reality of it is this. When we get puffed up with pride, that inflammation comes into our lives spiritually comes into our lives relationally, it comes into our lives socially and emotionally, and we get puffed up. Peter understood what that, what that was like. He understood what it meant to get puffed up. If you remember the story, maybe you've read it, maybe you've seen the movie, whatever it was, you remember how Peter was. I mean, there was one, ten, one time where Jesus is sitting around with Peter and the rest of the disciples, and, and he asked Peter a question, and, he, and Peter answers the question, gets it right, and Jesus says, hey, dude, I'm going to build my rock. I'm going to build my church on you. And Peter thought it that way. I'm the man now. Fast forward to what we call the Last Supper. And Peter's there and Jesus walks in. And as tradition would have it, when a person came in from walking around, there was a servant there to wash the feet. But Peter wasn't going to wash anybody's feet. He wasn't going to wash John's feet. And John wasn't going to wash James's feet. And, you know, Peter thought, maybe that dude Judas, he's all right because he's got the money, so we're good with him. But he was puffed up and he was proud. But then he understood this. Just a matter of hours later, he denied Christ. And the reality of his pride, the reality of who he was, came face to face with him. And maybe you're sitting back and saying, look, you know, I'm just a low guy. You don't understand. There's no way, man. I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm broke. I don't have anything in my life. I'm just a guy. Listen, pride is not about the platform. It's about your heart. Pride is not about the platform that you have in your family, in your work environment, wherever you are. It's about your heart. It's not about the size of the organization you run. It's not about the size of your bank account. It's about the heart. And for many of us, humility. Humility is that, is that key that's going to open that door to freedom in your life. Because why? Because much of our pride creates this thing called anxiety, this thing called angst. 
And all of a sudden, we're in these situations where we're having to deal with other people. I want you all to check out this video to see how one man deals with another man's pride. And in the humility of the moment, you can figure out who wins. Check out this video. So, Rupert, y'all take your darts over here pretty seriously, huh? Uh, this and uh, what's the billiard game y'all do that sounds like a brand of cookies? Snooker? That's it. That's the one. Yeah, boy, I'd love to curl up on a couch under a weighted blanket, watch You've Got Mail, and devour a box of Snookers. <laughs> <laughs> see what we got here. Hey, there it is. Do you like dots, Ted? Oh, they're OK. I'm more of a, you know, a cornhole man myself. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. How about a game? I mean, we could, you know, maybe wager, say, 10,000 pounds. Well, as my doctor told me when I got addicted to fettuccine Alfredo, that's a little rich for my blood. <laughs> uh, how about this? If you win, I'll let you pick the starting lineup of the last two games of the season. But if I win, you can't go anywhere near the owner's box, at least not while Rebecca's still in charge. Ted, what are you doing? I believe some folks call it white knight, but I don't know if it's falling my gut here. It's OK. Ted, so, no, what do you think? You're on. OK. Uh, double in, double out. Whatever you say, Rupert Dukes, yeah. Just let me know if I'm winning or losing, all right? <laughs> oh, I forgot I had these on me. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait a second. I forgot I'm left-handed. Oh, it's going to be a hoot. 180! William Rupert, get in! Shut your stupid little twat mouth or I will shut it for you. Shall I be giving you the line-up card now, Ted? I shall be putting your Bassania back on defence where he belongs. That's exactly what I said, didn't I? No, no, it's not all Ted's fault. My ex-wife's the one who brought the hillbilly to our shore. Hey! Better manners when I'm holding a dart. Please. Hmm. Mate, what do I need to win? Two triple twenties and a bullseye. <laughs> Good luck. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. And I like that. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to work. And all of a sudden, it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out, and so they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. <sighs> Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions, you know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to I was 16 when he passed away. Barbecue sauce. Here's what Peter says about this. He says this, he says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand 
that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. I think there's three key phrases there that we need to grasp about this thing called humility. First, we need to understand this. It says humble yourselves. As one who's been down that road before, I can tell you this. It is a whole lot better to humble yourselves than to have God humble you. But if you want to step into the ring against the almighty God, go for it. But I can tell you this as one who's been down that road before. doesn't work out that way. It's better that we, that we just go with God. Because he said, God gives grace to the humble. Second phrase about this thing called humility, the truth of humility versus pride, is that we've got to do that under God's mighty hand. Under God's mighty hand. Notice it says it's his hand and, and not his fist. A lot of times we have this, we have this tendency to think God is just up there playing the proverbial game of whack-a-mole and once we stick our head out, he's going to whack us. But the reality of it is, and Peter understood this when he said, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God because his hand denoted closeness. It, it denoted intimacy. It's that picture, if you've been a father and you're, when your kids were little, you remembered them just reaching up to hold your hand. The other day, it was take your daughters to work today for my son. And it, reading this verse made me think about this picture right here. As they walk down the hall with his two daughters, the youngest is just reaching up and just hanging on. Because she knew who was there to protect her. He, she knew who was there to provide for her. And we need to understand that that humility comes from his hand and not his fist. The last phrase you gotta, we need to wrap our heads around is in due time. In due time. Because it's on God's time frame and not our time frame. Because the time may not be right or we may not be ready, but, but God is not on our time zone. God is not going based on what we say when we want it and how we want it. I mean, we've, we've grown up now as this is our normal life, right? Right here, Amazon Prime. Order today, it's gonna be here in two days? Are you kidding me? It should be here in one day. But God says, look, in due time, in due time I will lift you up. Why? Because here's an important truth. A blessing in the wrong season can become a burden. Remember? Remember the prodigal son, maybe? What was, what was his deal? He was going to get his father's inheritance when? When his father died. It was going to be all his when his father died. But what did the son do? He said, no, nah, dad, I want it now. Now, was it wrong for him to get his inheritance from his father? Not really. But he received it in the wrong time. He received it in the wrong time, and because of that, it nearly destroyed his life. And a lot of us can be freed from our own hurts and habits and hang-ups 
by simply humbling ourselves, by simply saying to that other person, by simply maybe saying to our spouse or to whoever you've got this difficult relationship going on with, that you can just simply say to them, look, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Because why? Because God is a God who loves us unconditionally. And he tells us to love as he loved. So therefore, he says, humble yourself. The truth to the lie that you have to prove yourself, the, the truth to the lie of pride is simply that word humility. Because in due time, he'll lift you up. I think the second lie that we buy into is this. You won't make it through this. It's that lie that says you won't make it through this. It's the lie of worry. It's, it's when we worry about stuff. I mean, when we go through life and bad things happen to us or struggles are happening, Satan's right there whispering in our ear, you're not going to make this. You can't make it through this. There is no way. And we buy into that. We, we, we think and we just soak in that negative statement about our life. There's a psychologist named Rick Hansen, and he said this about our brains. He said, our brain is like Velcro for negative experiences and Teflon for positive ones. Think about that. There's been a lot of different groups and institutions that have gone together and looked at this thing about negative talk and all that's with that and in different settings and different opportunities it talks about how many negative in, in marriage just for a marriage to be like status quo not over the top it's three to one three positive statements to one negative why because we grasp onto that negative it's that velcro in our brain that grasps that in the workplace how about this Six to one. We were talking about that in the office last week, Evan and I were, and we were both like, well, we got some work to do. Because Satan will whisper into our ear, you're not going to make it through this. And we buy into that negative thing. And so Peter understood that, so he wrote it this way. He said, I want you to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I want you to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, here's why Peter did that. He wasn't doing that because these guys that were reading his letter all had these uh, worry problems. He wasn't like us that we get up and we, we try to figure out, oh, my gosh, when will there be new cars on the car lot so I can start looking at them? Or, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do with life? No. The people that Peter wrote to were Jesus' followers who were enemies of the Roman Empire. So much so that when they stood out for Jesus, when they stood up for Jesus, they would be taken prisoners. And even some of the emperors would use them on stakes, that stakes with AKE. They would use them as lighting for their parties. They would light the Christians on fire to provide light for their parties. So they knew what anxiety, they knew what worry's about. They knew what it meant to cast all their anxiety on him. And I think the word to us today is in the same way because we have so many struggles and worries and anxieties in our life. We have so many hang-ups. 
That word anxiety literally means anything that, anything that tears apart or divides our thinking. Anything that tears us apart or divides our thinking. So cast all of that on him. It's important, too, as you read this passage, it says we're to cast all our cares on him, not just part of them. We're pretty good at giving and taking back. You know, like, okay, God, I'm praying for this. I'm praying for that husband. I'm praying for that wife in my life. I'm praying just for that date. Maybe I could just get that date. God, I'm giving it to you. 30 minutes later, God, I got to take it back. I got to take it back. You're not doing too good with that. But he says, no, uh-uh. we got to give it all to him. We got to give it all to him. The second thing about casting our cares is we need to cast them on something or someone and not just cast off. I mean, we're good. Some of us are good at casting off our worries. I, my personality and uh, my Enneagram, if some of you are more importantly tied to those words, um, is such that I can just kind of blow stuff off and it's okay. But the reality of it is this. We want to cast off our worries because it's easy, but really we can't get rid of them. I mean, we have this thing of sitting down, man, it was a hard day at work, so I'm just going to get me a glass of wine or four and sit down and I will just drink it and I'll just, whew, I'll be chill. Give me one more of those beers because they'll just, it was a tough day at work, I'm going to cut the edge off and I'll be chill. Or maybe we think about it this way, man, it is, I've been so tense and so anxious about everything, I just got to go shopping. That's what I need to do. I'll go shopping and get me something new. That'll fix it. No, it doesn't really fix it because now all you have really is anxiety with a really cool pair of shoes or a nice handbag, but it's still there. Why? Because you have to cast it not off, but you cast it on and you cast them on him. Peter said, cast all your cares, all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So who's the him, right? Sunday school answer, go ahead and say it. Jesus, thank you. But you have to go back to verse two of that chapter to see who he's connected it to. And you're right in the right way. He says this in, in verse four, I'm sorry. He said, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. When the chief shepherd let me tell you, for somebody that would read that back then and was facing the, the terrors of the Roman uh, Empire or just trying to figure out where that next meal was going to come from, but they knew they loved Jesus with all their heart, they weren't looking for a boss or a CEO at that time. They were looking for a shepherd. And not just any shepherd. They wanted the chief shepherd. Because why? Because they were looking for someone that could lead them to still waters. They knew the chapter. They, they'd read it before. They'd seen David's writing about the Lord being our shepherd. And they were just looking for someone that was going to lead them to green pastures and restore their soul. So when you've got struggles, when you've got those worries and cares, you do what the Word of God says, and you just take those things and you cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I mean, the, the direct translation simply means this. 
Cast your cares because you are his concern. Cast your cares because you are his concern. He has you on his mind. There's nearly 8 billion, billion with a B, billion people in, on this planet. And yet God knows the number of hairs on our head. And looking around the room right now, he's doing subtraction with some of us, okay? But he knows. He knows your heart. He knows your hurts. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows that there's not anything too big or too small. The things that we think are titanic, the things that we think are just big and huge in our life, and the things that we think are just trivial, both of them matter to him. Both of them matter to him. So you're not bothered. You shouldn't be bothered to talk to him about all those things, to cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because you are the object of his concern. Because he knows you. And the one that knows you and created you best is there to be your rescuer. He's there to save you. And it's not just a Sunday morning walking an aisle if you did that in a church. It's not just asking Jesus in your heart. But that's a constant thing. That's an ongoing thing where he saves you time and time again. So cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. I want you to check out this video and then we're gonna, we've got a song and I'm going to come back and wrap it up when it's done. Check this out. Life can bring us storms. Those moments where we wander, wonder, doubt. The journey doesn't stop, but the progress does. It can be lonely, painful. Sometimes we try to stare it down as if we could somehow will it to go away or we think we can go toe-to-toe -to -toe and come out the other side, unscathed. We often forget just how small we are. The truth is, storms are inevitable. But when they appear, we have a protector, a savior who knows a thing or two about calming storms. A God who is a stronghold in times of trouble. In our weakness, He is strong. In our fear, He is courage. In our desperation, He is peace. Yes, storms are inevitable. But our God is invincible.
There is no distance Not be covered over and over You're not defenseless I'll be your shelter a God who is ready to rescue. And so don't buy in to the lies. You have nothing to prove. It's already been done. He proved his love to you. And you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Don't buy into that whisper that says you're not going to make it through this. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Cast all your cares on him because you are his concern. He created you. He loves you. And he's going to pull you through it. 
I love what the message says in Psalms 9. It says this. God is a safe house for the battered. A sanctuary during bad times. The moment you arrive, you relax. And you're never sorry you knocked. The moment you arrive, you relax. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he's going to lift you up in due time. He's going to rescue you. He is a safe house to the battered. He is a sanctuary during bad times. And know that you're going to make it because he loves you with an incredible love. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much that your word is living and active, that it's true. And God, I pray that we wouldn't buy into the lies but we would walk in truth because your word says when we know the truth, the truth sets us free. So God, I just pray that those that are here this morning can break free. They can experience freedom through the truth of your word that says that you love us. The truth of your word that says we need to clothe ourselves in humility towards each other. And God, the truth of your word that says we can just cast our cares on you because you care for us, because we are your concern. Because you know us, you love us, and you created us to make a difference. You created us to go out and to love. So I thank you for that, God. I just pray that the rest of this week would, done, would be done by walking in that truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.